Lord God, Heavenly Father, on this day we rejoice that in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, Satan has been crushed. Satan has been defeated. That the old evil foe has no power over us because we have a Savior. Through his perfect life, through his perfect obedience, his death and his resurrection, he gives to us eternal victory. So let us live in that. Let us overcome temptation by running to your word, by finding refuge in our Savior, and by learning to walk in your ways and delighting in your will. Bless us now as we study your word. May your spirit guide us in all wisdom. In Jesus' name. Okay, so um, we're in John 7. Now remember, at the end of John 6, we have this conundrum because Jesus has been teaching crazy stuff, right? He's been teaching that if you want to live, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, we, we went over that last week, how that is a clear violation of all kinds of stuff in the Torah, clear violation of God's teaching in the Old Testament. And yet, Jesus is not violating the Old Testament. Instead, he is fulfilling it, right? So this is the big move in Jesus. Jesus does not come to overthrow the Old Testament or to get rid of the Old Testament. He comes to fulfill it. Right? Meaning the Old Testament. Jesus comes to fulfill the Old Testament. Um, this is fun. You actually had this in our epistle reading today in Romans chapter 5 where it talks about the first Adam was a type of the second Adam. Okay, and Paul uses this word a couple times to describe Jesus in both Romans 5 and also in 1 Corinthians 10 where he says Jesus, the stuff in the Old, the Old Testament was a, a typos of Christ, right? So what happens is all the stuff in the Old Testament was actually pointing us ahead to a greater fulfillment in Jesus. Even Adam was pointing us ahead to a greater fulfillment in Christ. Okay? So your old your epistle reading today in Romans chapter 5, Paul is saying this that yeah, death came through Adam. Right? So and that death affects who? Everyone. Right? Well, guess what? Life comes through the second Adam, whose name is Jesus, and that life also affects everyone. Right? So remember, we've talked about this before. We don't believe in limited atonement. We don't believe that Christ only died for those who would believe. No, his death and his resurrection were for everyone. Right? It's for everyone. All the sins of the whole world on Christ. All the, the death and the punishment, all in Christ. He conquers all. Okay? So what happens is Jesus then, because all of this was a type pointing ahead to Christ, now he fulfills the Old Testament. So, why were you not allowed to eat the flesh of animals in the Old Testament with blood in it? Because what? Because in the blood is the life. Well, now... Jesus says, properly, you eat my flesh and drink my blood because that is where you get life. <coughs> See, it's, it's now switched. You don't, you don't avoid it because there's life. Now you eat it because there's life. Because, now, now think this through. In the Gospel of John, if you want to live, where do you want to be? In Christ. Christ. Right? So this is what happens. There, then Jesus says to the disciples, what, you want to walk away too? And Peter goes, well, we got nowhere else to go because you have the words of life. Okay? So think this through now. Jesus' words, that's, that's all kind of weirdness going on. Jesus' words are life. Right? Je the words that Jesus speaks are life-giving words. Is this true in the gospel itself? 
Think through the Gospel of John. Does Jesus speak and his speaking causes life? Where? Lazarus. Lazarus come forth and he does. So, John chapter 20, he breathes on the disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. See, Jesus' words give life. When next time you're in a sanctuary, look up at the wall. It's the craziest thing. Thankfully, pink, they used to be pink. That was even weirder. But, no offense. But now there's banners up there. You know what they say? This is my body. This is my blood. Do this. Jesus, life-giving words. Right? Make disciples. How? By baptizing. Right? So what does, he, and what does he say? By baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Matthew 28. So when we baptize, we say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus, life-giving words. Okay? Does that make sense? So this is, this is really what, what the Gospel of John is getting to understand is that when Jesus speaks, he speaks words that engender life. Now we're also going to find out that his words do something else. What else do they do? They do condemn. That's right. They will condemn. Okay? So that's what we got to at the end of 6. Now, the other weird thing is that in John chapter 6, at the very end, go look at there. Um... John 6, 70 and 71. Jesus answered, Did I not choose you the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Okay, so how did Jesus know that Judas was going to betray him? Right. So remember, when we talk about the person of Christ, sometimes he does stuff that looks really human. And we say he does that according to his human nature. Then he does stuff that looks really divine, like he knows the future. And we say he does that according to his divine nature. Okay, so this is one of those things where Jesus knows what's going to happen. It's not a surprise. So that's not something humans could do. That's, that's according to his divine nature. He knows all this, right? Does it make sense? Right there in the text. Is the word devil in that verse the same as antichrist? No. It's not. Not antichrist. Okay. Um, which, which is interesting thing, there though. There are many antichrists. There are many antichrists. Okay. And that's in, that's in 1 John. Well, he'll get to that. 1 John, where he talks about the antichrist is anyone who denies that Jesus came in the flesh. Right? Which is different than the antichrist in, in, the, Corinthian, in the Thessalonian correspondences. Okay, that's, that's a different antichrist. Which is kind of all subsumed into the Book of Concord where we talk about the Antichrist is anybody who sets himself in the place of Christ. Right? Who tries to take Christ's place. That's the Antichrist. So if, if anybody says, in order to be saved, you have to go through me, that person is putting themselves in the place that only Christ can put himself. And that is the Antichrist. Okay? So anybody who says, salvation goes through me, that is the Antichrist. Jim Jones. Jim Jones would be one, obviously. A lot of these cult leaders, but yeah. Okay. All right, let's read chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish feast of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea so that the disciples may see miracles to you. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, The right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that 
what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I'm not yet going up to the feast because for me the right time has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. Okay, thank you very much. Now, a couple of things before we get into this too much. Um, he is now in Galilee, okay? And this is kind of the weird thing of reading John with the Synoptic Gospels. This time in Galilee, John kind of skips over most of it, but this is the content of the rest of the other Gospels. So the other Gospels basically spend most of their time talking about his ministry in Galilee. John basically skips it. Okay, so if you want to know how these Gospels kind of fit together, this is pretty much the period that the other Gospels talk about, which is kind of weird, but it's okay. Um, so this, this Galilean ministry, John is going to basically skip over and just kind of say, yeah, he went around in Galilee, right? Um, now, this is about six months after John chapter 6 takes place. We're about six months later um, because... In John 6, it begins by talking about a Passover. As you guys know, Passover is in the spring, usually around April, March or April. That's very close to our Easter, right? And then the Festival of Booths is in October. Okay, so now we're about six months later. Does that make sense? Okay, that's about what's going on. Now, also, you'll notice the festival of, yours says the festival of tabernacles, or the feast of tabernacles, but the feast of booths. This is the festival of booths, okay? And, and if you want to look this up, it's in Leviticus 23, verses 33 and following, I think. That's a guess. Yeah. Is that right? Leviticus 23, verses 23 and follow, 33 and following. And then also, let's turn here. Let's go to Deuteronomy 16. I think it's 16. I should, I should look these things up before I tell you. Deuteronomy 16. I feel like that's right. It may not be. I'm going to go there quickly and hope. Okay, good. Deuteronomy 16 talks about the three feasts. There are three feasts. <coughs> Three feasts that are that are essential in Judaism. Three. Okay? And Deuteronomy 16 lays this out for us. As a matter of fact, if you want to skip ahead, just go Deuteronomy 16, verses 16 through 17. It, it, it summarizes the whole thing there right for you. So Deuteronomy 16, 16 to 17. Okay? And it'll, it'll outline these three feasts. So three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's the Passover. The, fe the Feast of Weeks, that's Pentecost. And the Feast of Booths, okay, the, or the Festival of Tabernacles. Those are the three main feasts in Judaism. Okay? Yeah? Does that make sense? Okay. Now, the Passover is in spring. Okay, it's the first month of the Jewish calendar. The festival of booths is the seventh month of the Jewish calendar. And the festival of weeks is seven weeks after the first harvest in the spring. Which is generally right after, Pentecost, right after Passover. And that's what we call Pentecost. Okay? That's the way it works. So now the cool thing is at the festival of booths, or the Feast of Booths, what happens is this is to celebrate when, the, when God led the people through the Egypt and kept them safe the whole time and he was with them in a tabernacle or a booth. So everyone goes to Jerusalem and lives in te temporary booths. So if, you're, if you don't live in Jerusalem, you kind of bring with you some materials to make a little lean-to and you kind of set up outside Jerusalem and you live in it for a week. It's kind of fun. It's like camping, right? If you live in Jerusalem, you set up a temporary booth either in a courtyard if you had one or on the roof of your house. And you lived in it. For, you lived in that for a week. Okay? So this was the Feast of Booths. And because this is one of the three required feasts, everyone who could, you had to go to Jerusalem. So it's packed. Jerusalem is packed with every 
Jewish male who can get there, right? It's totally full. Now, the cool thing is, in the Festival of Booths, there are two main parts of the festival. One is the drawing of water from the pool of Siloam, and the other is the lighting of the of lamps, okay? Especially candelabra in the temple. Now, the reason I tell you this is, look at John chapter 7, verse 37. John 7, 37. Okay, John 7, 37. What does it say? On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Uh-oh. He's standing up at the Festival of Booths where they're celebrating the drawing of water as God's provision from the rock in the wilderness in Exodus chapter 17. Is that right? 17? Something like that. Yeah, 17. And Jesus says, If you're thirsty... Come to me, right? Now, what's the next? What's the other part of the feast? Lighting of a lamp. Go to John 8, 12. John 8, 12. Next chapter, verse 12. Skip the other parts. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Okay, again, he's at this festival when they're celebrating the lighting of the lamp as God's provision, and Jesus says, that light, it's me. This is why the Jews want to kill Jesus, because he keeps doing this. He keeps saying, that stuff that God is in the Old Testament, it was actually me. Remember that manna stuff? That wasn't, that's not, that's not the real food. I'm the bread of life. Remember that water in the wilderness? That's not really the water that you drink to live. I'm the water you drink to live. That light of the world stuff? It's not in the temple. It's not a menorah. It's me. I'm the light of the world. And they're like, what? Who do you think you are? That's why they're going to kill him. Okay? But this is also how the Gospel of John is showing us these festivals. And so, <clears throat> Jesus, remember, he's not overthrowing. He's not overthrowing the Old Testament. He's fulfilling it. He is the fulfillment of all of the feasts of the Old Testament. Okay? Do you see that? That's what John is teaching us. He is a fulfillment of all of the feasts of the Old Testament. He's a fulfillment of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. That's Jesus. He's a fulfillment of the law of the Old Testament. He's a fulfillment of the Torah, <coughs> the actual Testament itself. Okay, do you see that? So that's what we're going to learn in John 7, is all of this stuff as we read through John 7 and 8. There's more, but we're running out of time, so... We'll just skip on ahead. Okay, any questions on that or thoughts? Isn't that fun? It's very cool. So do you guys have to keep any feasts? Is God's word just no longer true in the Old Testament? You don't have to go to Jerusalem anymore? Good. So now we keep all of these feasts in the sacraments and when we hear the word right when you hear the words of Christ that give life we are keeping the feast when we receive the sacrament we are keeping the feast these are God's eternal feast for us okay all right number one so why didn't Jesus go to Judea because they're gonna kill him now, is Jesus scared of dying? No. no. So why doesn't he go? It's not time yet. 
Okay, so let's let's see. Let's go back to John chapter two. John chapter two, the second chapter of the same book we're in here. What happens in John two? Water into wine. Good, good, good. How does it start? How does that miracle start? So let's read John chapter two, verses one through four. All right. Yeah, and his mother says, do whatever he tells you. Do you see the parallels? He's in Galilee. His family comes to him and says, hey, you should go do this. And he goes, no. My time has not yet come. But what does he do in chapter 2? He does it. What does he do in chapter 7? He goes... You should do this. No, not time yet. And then he goes and does it. What? What's he saying when he says, my time has not yet come? We'll get there. Okay, so he doesn't go to Judea because it's not time yet for him to die. Number two, why does the world hate Jesus? Because he claimed he's God. Yeah, that's annoying, but that's not actually the real problem. Yes, because he convicts the world of sin. This is true for us when we go forth as his witnesses. Don't expect the world to like you. Because part of our message is what you're doing is wrong. Not not if you think it's wrong or if I think it's wrong. No, it is eternally wrong. And not only that, but you were born doing wrong. And not only that, not were you just born doing wrong, your very nature is entirely corrupted so that you are a <coughs> sinner. And they're going to say, great! <coughs> Thanks for telling me! Because this world loves to be told they're wrong, right? Just go on Facebook, try it. <coughs> This world loves to be told that humans are basically corrupt and not good. See, this is the problem. We walk in with a message and the message is truly you are born sinful and unclean and all the things you're doing are wrong. Your entire life is wrong. And I don't really care about your opinion because God is the one who gets to say what's right and wrong. And he says what you're doing is a sin. And they say to us, doesn't it say uh, don't judge? Right? They start, they start backpedaling. They start trying to find ways out of it because what we're confronted with is totally uncomfortable. You're saying there's nothing in here that's good? I have no hope in me? And our answer is, yeah, that's what we're saying. It's exactly what we're saying. Well, this is the way God made me. He has to deal with it. And we say, no, 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 no. That's not the way God made you. Right? You, that you might be right. That that is what you inherited as a, from in your sinful nature. That's that might be true. But that doesn't mean that God has to deal with it and be happy with it. Right? That is part of our message. We can't pretend it isn't. Well, he does deal with it. Yeah. Good. So then we say, don't walk away because there's good news coming. Right? Because God has loved you so much that what did He do? Right, he died for you. I, I was talking to a, a guy who, and, and he'd be happy for me to share this with you, who was a homosexual. He was, he was 100% in the homosexual lifestyle. And all kinds of Christians witnessed to him all the time. And their witness was, oh, God loves you just the way you are. And you know what he said to all that? No. One person walked up and said, God loves you enough to not leave you in this mess. God loves you enough to deliver you from the evil that you are living in. 
And he said, I listened to that person because a God who loves me enough to not leave me in my mess, that's a God I need. See, if we compromise the law, we compromise the gospel. If there's no sin, no death, no punishment, then what's the point of the gospel? We have to speak the truth. Yes, we speak it in love because we speak it in order to get to what God has done, right? God loves you, not, not just those naughty people out there, you naughty people in here, you sitting there. God loves you enough to rescue you from your sin. Right? You, I heard you confess it this morning. The things that you have done and the things you have left undone, you deserve God's punishment. Because God loves you enough to rescue you out of that, to punish his son and to give to you life. See, he loves you enough to not leave you in the junk, but to rescue you, to pull you out and give you life so that we can live as his children. Now, the world hates that message because the world wants to be told, oh, you're good, you're wonderful just the way you are. Just keep working hard enough and you'll be loved eventually. That's what we all like to hear. But you know what? That is a lie from the devil. That's what Pastor talked about today in his sermon. Right? That's a lie from Satan. You're good enough. You should love yourself. Just keep being you. That's a lie from (coughs) Satan. Right? And Jesus says that. The world's not going to like my message. See, his brother's like, oh man, you're awesome. You're like, you're this miracle guy. You're a good preacher. Everybody's going to love you if you just go show up. Jesus' like, uh uh, they ain't going to love me. They're going to hate me. Because the cross does convict this world of sin. Right? Does that make sense? I was just thinking, I, I've heard someone I know talk about their pastor, and uh, you know he was talking to a couple that were living together and had said, no, that's wrong. God doesn't want you to do that. And this person is like, well, they're gonna, he's gonna, the pastor's going to turn them away from the church. I and mean, it's just, even... Christian people have a problem with that. Yes. Even Lutheran people. Even. <laughs> even that's wrong. Yep. But they're, and I know you have to maybe handle it carefully, but yeah. that, a sin is a sin, and we get so caught up in, you know, well, they're not going to want to come to church then. Well, right. They're sinning. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they are sinning. And, and that's a really good point. So, um, and I don't mean this lightly, support your pastor. Because he has to go do these things. You think it's fun to walk into somebody's life and say, hey, you're wrong? Knowing that they might walk away from this place and never come back. And you all are going to be like, well, why'd you drive them away? That's when you need to support your pastor and say, if he says, I, because I spoke the truth of God's word to them, then what do you say? Thank God for you. Thank God for you for being faithful. Right? Speaking the word of God. And that's what we need to do for each other. You need to continue to encourage each other to speak the truth. Because here's what I believe. Here's what I believe. Jesus wins in the end. He's going to return. He'll be the King of kings and Lord of lords. And the goal is not to get people to like us or even to like this church. The goal is for them to hear the word of God. And the Holy Spirit will work through that. Maybe they walk away right now. Maybe they're like, you know, forget you guys. But the word of God has now been planted, right? And the Holy Spirit will work through that. And maybe maybe tomorrow, maybe next month, maybe next year, someone else walks up and speaks to them that word again. And they go, you know, I've heard that word before. The Holy Spirit's working. And maybe this time, the law has, has made them ready to hear the gospel, right? You don't know. You don't know how that's going to happen. So it's, and this is very important. Um, this is really an important thing for this for our church in this time. Don't compromise the word of God. Don't do it. Even if you think it's for a good reason, don't compromise the word of God. Speak the truth. Believe the truth. Right? Don't listen to this world. It's all messed up. I promise. 
Number three, why doesn't the world hate his brothers? Because they're sinners, because they also don't believe in Jesus. So this is the other side of the coin is let's let's not get jealous of those who have compromised the word of God and are doing really well. I know you guys drive down the road and see billboards for churches that have thousands of members and you're like, well, why can't our church be like that? They're too loud. They're too loud. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know what? And, and I'll be honest, and not everybody's going to like this necessarily, but, but forget the music, forget the style, forget the, the dress. That's not the problem. What's the problem? They're not teaching the Word of God. Right? That's the problem. They're not teaching the Word of God. That's the problem. Okay? Now, I will submit to you that the dress and the music and the stuff follows your doctrine. That's why it looks a little different. Right? But, but that's not really the issue. The not is, oh, we don't like rock and roll. No, that's not the issue. The issue is, what are you preaching? What are you teaching? What are you compromising to get people in the door? Right? Does it make sense? So, this is what happening is Jesus is saying... You guys can go to the feast. They're, they're not going to hate you because you're them. And guess what? You guys are also going to hate it when I convict you of your sin, is what he's saying to his brothers. Yeah? Okay, do you know, Bob? Well, you don't have to go very far back in time to see where that played out. Look at, look at the ancestors of a lot of people who are here in Nazi Germany. The church capitulated. Yep. Now we celebrate those who were faithful in the church and stood up against that nonsense. Yep. Yeah. And and we actually do believe that in a generation they'll be looking back at this generation saying the church capitulated, but we thank God for those who didn't. Right? Let's not be part of the capitulation group. Let's be part of the group that stands on the word of God. What's that? Capitulate means to give into or to just bow under, right? So sure, whatever. Sure, we'll just change our teaching. I mean, this is happening. This is happening right now in Finland, by the way, just in case you're wondering. Um, people in Finland are getting punished for posting Bible verses. The state Lutheran church is punishing people for posting Bible verses. And saying, you can't say that. It's like, what? It's the Bible. Okay, so it's still happening today. And it's happening in our world right now. We need to be the church that stands up. Okay? All right, let's go to, um, just real quick. This is just fun. These are just fun facts to know sometimes. Go to Matthew 13, 55. Gospel of Matthew, first book of the New Testament, Matthew 13, 55. Matthew 13, verse 55. Okay, so there we have Jesus' brothers, four brothers named. Okay? James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Now, the first one, James, wrote the book of James. And the last one, Judas, wrote the book of Jude. Okay? So two of his four brothers who don't believe in him in John 7 end up writing books of Scripture. Probably. Okay? This James, the brother of Jesus, is the one who takes over. So this isn't James the Apostle, the brother of John. That's a different James. Okay? There are, there are five Jameses in the New Testament, so you've got to keep track of them all. Unfortunately, they don't have last names, so you're just James, 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 and James. This is not that James, it's that James. Which isn't that James or that James or that James, it's the other James. It's that James. 
Okay, But then James, the brother of Jesus, is the one who writes the book of the New Testament. So in John 7, you have the brothers of Jesus not believing in him, but they will believe in him after the death and resurrection. Okay? Yes, Tom. Is there a reason why the Bible does not lift out the sisters? Is that part of the culture of the day? Who cares? Okay. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good question. I don't know. No, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't have sisters, so I don't care. <laughs> I only have a brother. Nice. See what happened? Robin's in here? Yeah. I'm telling Robin. Yes. That's that's true. Always. That's always. No big deal. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. He has sisters. He has brothers. Okay. Um, number four. So when is Jesus' time? When it's time. Yeah, when it's time. When's time? Yeah, but we know in the Gospel of John what time it is. <coughs> Good. So the time, for, the right time for Jesus is going. It is going to be a feast in Jerusalem, but it's going to be the Passover in which when he will die. That's the right time for him. He is going to go up to Jerusalem publicly. You guys will sing about it and wave palm branches. Or at least the kids will. And you'll always share a kid at that moment. When is his time to go up to Jerusalem publicly? Palm Sunday. And he will enter in and he will go there in order to die. Okay? This feast isn't the right feast. That feast is coming. If you want to know what that, that is, it's John eleven fifty-five. Okay, that's the Passover. That's the last Passover in John. Three Passovers in John, therefore the gospel takes how many years? Two. Okay, so three Passovers in John, um, probably two Festival of Booths and a Hanukkah, <laughs> which is fun. Um, so this, this last Passover, third Passover, John 11.55. Is that right? That seems right in my head. Is that, I'm going to make sure that's right, just in case. It feels right, but it kind of, I want to make sure. Yeah, 55. Now the Passover Jews at hand, and many went from the country of Jerusalem because of before the Passover purified themselves. Okay. Any questions? Thoughts? Do you guys want to do something really fun? Sure. Okay. Does anybody have a Bible that has red letter, like the words of Jesus in red? Yeah, okay, this makes it really easy. So I showed you, so just for a second, look at just the words in red in John 7, 37, and then there's no words in red except for this weird woman caught in adultery thing. Just skip that, okay? Just pretend for a second that John 7, 53 through 8, 11 isn't there because you'll see the note in your Bible saying it probably isn't there. So if you do that, then all you have are words of Jesus back to back saying, if anyone thirsts, come to me. And the next thing he says is, I am the light of the world. Right? The two things to the Feast of the Tabernacles. Water and light. Those are back to back sayings of Jesus. Now, what do you have smushed in the middle? The woman caught in adultery. Well, here's the thing. That there's another festival right before the Feast of Booths. You know what it is? It's one day. It's the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is right before the Festival of Booths. What does the woman caught in adultery deal with? What's the real point of it? Forgiveness. Right? The Day of Atonement is forgiveness. And who is the one who atones for sin in the Gospel of John? Jesus. That's the blood that atones. So who has the right to pronounce somebody dead to rights in their sin, right? She's not saying I'm not guilty of adultery. She's, she's caught. She's guilty. 
and Jesus has the right to kill her, what does he do instead? He forgives her. How can he do that? How can he just ignore the law of the Old Testament? Right, because he will shed his blood for that sin. He will pay to atone for that sin. Day of atonement. So in John, you have this smooshed together, Festival of Booths and Day of Atonement smooshed together in these chapters. Okay? That's just kind of fun. All right, let's read John 7, verses 10 through 18. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He is a good man, others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has, has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Thank you. Okay, so what are the opinions about Jesus? Some people like him and some don't. Yeah. Some people like him. They think, yeah, he's he's pretty good. Other people think he's leading the people astray. Um, If you go walk out in the world today and talk about Jesus, what are people going to think? What's that? I said it depends on where you are. Yeah, it, it really does, right? What if you walk to people who are unbelievers? You just talk to unbelievers. Are these still the two two opinions? Pretty much, yeah. People say, oh, he's, he was a good guy, right? I like him. He taught us to love one another. He seemed to be anti-authority. I like that, <laughs> right? That's correct. Kind of, Jesus is pretty cool. Other people are like, Oh, Jesus, no, he's, he's a problem. Why? What's that? He condemns us. He condemns people, and he says he is the only way. So they say, oh, no, 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 we can't have that. All right? So these two opinions, this isn't brand new in America today. This is the way it's always been when people encounter Jesus. People are like, oh, I like that. He's pretty cool. He teaches good stuff. He feeds people. I like that. I'd be like, oh no, he's leading people astray if you listen to what he's saying. It's man, it's Eva. I was just thinking about you you're talking about how we have one thing after another after another. Is this set up to say I'm the Torah? Yeah. Yeah, very much so. That's you want to read that all through the Gospel of John. That Jesus is kind of saying, I'm the Torah. Like, listen to me, I'm Torah. Which is why they're freaking out. You're saying you're the revelation of God to us? Yeah. What about Moses? He's like, well, Moses was talking about me anyway, so I'm not like changing anything. I'm just fulfilling it. Yeah, very good. Okay, so so even in Jesus' day, people liked him. Remember, people always followed Jesus everywhere he went. They thought it was great. But in John chapter 6, people stopped following Jesus when he spoke. When he starts teaching, people start walking away. This is true for the church today as well. As long as we're on the street corners giving out free food, people love us. But if we start speaking the word of God, then all of a sudden, whoa, 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 uh uh-uh. That's not your job here. Right? Your job is just to feed people and take care of people and love people. Don't be speaking this gospel, this this word to us. Uh-uh. You are more than welcome. You are more than welcome to come to the food bank and feed the four poor people. You say, we're going to present the gospel. They say, well, that's not really what we're about here. 
right? And so people say, speak the gospel. Use words if necessary. And we go, well, I only know the gospel that has words. It's always necessary to speak words because that's how the gospel is proclaimed. Right? Do your good works before men. They may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, how are they going to know who you're, who to glorify if you haven't taught them, proclaimed the word? Okay? So this is what the church is also tempted to, is to, is to be, to give in to this temptation to do the things the world likes us to do. Well, that's fine, and they're going to think we're good people. But by the time you start proclaiming the truth of Jesus, eh, I don't know. Right? So this is exactly what Jesus is walking into is that some of the people there are like, yeah, I think he's great. Other people are like, I don't know. He's leading us astray. So number six, was Jesus scared of the Jews? No. No. How do you know that? He walks right in the temple and starts teaching. He walks right in the middle of Judaism and starts teaching. In the middle of a feast. So he's not going to go up with the brothers publicly like they want him to because he's not going to show off. But when he gets there, where does he go? Right into the temple. And he starts teaching. Remember, the Jews are going to kill him. But he's not scared of them. He walks right into the temple and starts teaching. Okay? So again, in, G- in John chapter 10, Jesus says this, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. See, he's not scared the Jews are going to murder him. He just is saying it's not time yet for me to go to the cross. Okay, so in the Gospel of John, Jesus is very much in control of what's happening to him. As a matter of fact, in John 8, they're going to want to kill him and he's just going to walk away. Right, at the end of all this, he's going to say, before Abraham was, I am. They're going to pick up stones to kill him. He's just going to do what? Just walk away. Because his time hasn't come yet. Now remember, if Jesus has the authority to lay down his life, that also means he has the power to take it up again. Right? So we know, as in all the passion predictions, yes, I'm going to suffer and die on a cross, but in three days I will rise. Right? Because our Jesus is the one who conquers death in the grave. So number seven. This is kind of weird. Did Jesus learn? He says, how is it this man has learning when he has never studied? He doesn't have to learn. He knows. He just knows. In Luke, his parents lose him, right? They, they go to Jerusalem, they get all excited about the feast, and they walk away, and they, they just assume Jesus is hanging out with his buddies in the crowd, but he's not. So go back and find him, and where is he? In the temple, he's 12 years old, doing what? Teaching, teaching the scriptures to the rabbis. To the PhDs in theology, he's teaching them scriptures, and they're going, <laughs> right? Twelve-year-old. Now they're saying, "How does this guy know all this? He's never been to school. He's unschooled." Well, they were upset because those rabbis didn't teach him. Right, right. But did he learn? Did he learn? Yes, there was a day when Jesus didn't know how to talk. Because in the Gospel of Luke, it also says he grew in stature and knowledge. Right? So guess what? Jesus was fully human. But his divine nature always knew. So the state of humiliation is the voluntary refraint of the full use of his divine nature. Isn't Christology fun? So wait, but he didn't... He had it, but he was denying it. Yeah, but he voluntarily refrained from the full use of it. But if he's voluntarily refraining, that doesn't mean he didn't... He needed to learn. He just wanted to learn. Yes, he voluntarily learned. That's exactly right. He didn't right. have to learn. He didn't have to learn, but he voluntarily did. Right? But so it's a trick question. He already knew it. No, he doesn't know it. 
Yeah, he, on the other side, you know. Yes. In the divine nature, he knew. So is he? So in Matthew chapter four, this is this is quoting our gospel reading for today. He went forty days and forty nights without food, and he was hungry. hungry. He's not hungry. He's God. God doesn't eat. All of a sudden, he became hungry. But he. In his state of humiliation, voluntarily refrained from the of divine nature, so he became hungry. So it's the same thing you're getting at. He didn't have to be hungry. He chooses to be hungry. He doesn't have to die. He chooses to die. Why does he choose to do all these things? Why does he choose to learn? Why does he choose to get hungry? Why does he choose to do these things? Right, to save you. To take on himself, you. Bear all of your burdens. Pastor Tour. Oh, I was going to say the same thing. It's Hebrews 4. Yes. We don't have a Savior who is unacquainted with our weakness, but he's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Yet is without sin. Okay. So he had to go through everything we go through, but without sin. Beginning with his? Beginning with his conception. Yes, but, but he publicly takes on all of our stuff at his baptism. Right? Let us do it now to fulfill all righteousness. So from then on, you see him physically actually embodying our needs. Okay? So he's actually going to take it all on himself. So when you say to God, you don't know what it's like, he goes, yes I do. (laughs) I actually do. Okay, and that's comforting because we have a God that we can pray to who knows what it feels like to be sad and sick and lonely and scared and confused and tempted. God, you don't know what it's like to have a devil walk up to you and tempt you with the very thing you want. And he goes, yes, I do. I actually do know what it's like. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says this, none of you have been, t- be t- have been tempted or will be tempted beyond what you can bear. But God will always provide a way out. And what's that way out? Listen to, this, listen to the sermon today. What's that way out? The Word of God. Just like Christ. Just like He did. You run to the Word of God. And you say, Satan, that's a lie. This is true. And when you're in the Word, who's working on you? The Holy Spirit. Right? And he will always point you to Christ, who is your rescue from sin, right? It'll stop you from sinning. And when you do fall in temptation, you run to the same place and he will always forgive you because he loves you. Okay? Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, You have taken on all of our burdens, all of our sin, all of our wretchedness. And you've put it to death on the cross. And now in him, you you raise us up to new life, to live in him, to walk in him, to love as you loved, and to rejoice in forgiveness and life eternal. So this week, let us live our lives in repentance. Let us live our lives also in joy. For we are yours in Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you all.